begin reading as we resume our study in Psalm 119. We're going to begin reading at verse 97 and read down through verse 104. These are God's words for us this morning. And here's what God says. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than, than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. For we acknowledge that there is no word like your word. Your word is forever true, forever settled in the heavens. And we count it as a gift that we could have your word, that we could read it, that we could see it, that we could think about it. May we be counted among those who love your word. And Father, your word, since it's powerful, it's living, it's active, we pray that now your word by your spirit would do a work in us. Help us to see these wonderful things expressed here. Teach us, change us, for we ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, we took a four-week break from Psalm 119, and now as we begin uh, the new year, we're back in Psalm 119, and uh, verse 97 is such an appropriate verse to, to jump us back into our study in Psalm 119. Just by way of reminder, Psalm 119 underscores to us the functional and the practical value of God's Word in the life of a follower of Christ. Psalm 119 is comprised of 176 verses, split up by 22 uh, units, eight verses apiece, corresponding with the lettering of the Hebrew alphabet. We are now, this morning, as we jump back into Psalm 119, in the 13th unit. So 13 out of 22, we're We're over halfway there. And while each unit underscores the functional and practical value of God's Word in our lives, each unit has a special emphasis on how that functional and practical value plays itself out in our lives. The particular emphasis of verses 97 to 104 is wisdom. The Word of God, God's Word, provides 
gives wisdom to us. Two things I want to note in particular concerning wisdom from these eight verses. And we'll split these eight verses in two. First, I want us to see in verses 97 through 100 uh, something of wisdom is received and or experienced through what we love. And then in verses 101 to 104, I want us to note something concerning wisdom about how it is expressed and reflected through what we hate. I don't know if you noticed a couple of the of the textual markers here that I that that guided uh, how we slice up this uh, this unit. Do you see in verse the first verse, verse ninety seven? There's this wonderful statement of love. Oh, how I love your law. And, and, but didn't you see how verse 104 concludes? It's not a statement of love, but it's a statement of hate. Therefore, I hate every false way. The other thing I think that differentiates these two segments in verses 97 through 104 is not only the statement of love and the statement of hate that begins and concludes this unit, but... but um, but how, how in the first four verses, the emphasis is primarily upon wisdom as it, as it circulates around in our minds. And, and then the shift, I feel like there's a shift that occurs when we get to verse 101. And, and it's really about how wisdom plays itself out in our practice. This is a very positive unit. Not, not every unit in the Psalm 119 uh, is, has, a, has, a, has such a, 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 a smooth or positive orientation to it. But, but this, this, these verses, and what a wonderful way to start the new year. These verses celebrate God's Word in that it gives us wisdom in how we are to think and how we are, and how we are to, to, to live. Let's look at the... Two segments, one at a time. Wisdom is received through what we love. Really, really, what we're asking here in these first four verses, 97 through 100, is how do we get wisdom? And what we are going to see is that the acquisition of wisdom is tightly connected to what we love. So the subject matter of, these, of, the, of all eight verses here in this segment is wisdom. Uh, the, 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 the focus concerning this wisdom is it's, it's talking to us about wisdom as it relates to our affections. The choices that we make, the actions that we set out on, even the content of what we think about and dwell on are all colored by and conditioned by our loves and our desires. How we love, what we love, is of utmost influence to the choices that we make, to the actions that we set out on, and to the content of what we mull over and think about. You see, an ordered life is rooted in an ordered love. A disordered life is tethered to 
a disordered love. So it's, see, it's, it's vital that we get love right. It's vital that we love the right things. It's, it, it, because everything of our, of our hearts and our lives flow out of the love and affection that is spinning around and circulating around in our hearts and in our minds. Now, when I, when I speak of love, I'm, I'm not talking about love as a mere sentimentalism, but I'm talking about love in a, in a deeper, mo, more robust fashion. I'm talking about love in terms of, uh, 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 of, of the deepest devotions and desires and uh, delights in our soul. We certainly know where the psalmist is on this one. Oh, how I love your law. When he, when he says law here, he's not simply talking about the commands of God. It certainly includes that. But I think he's speaking of, of law here in a, in, a, in a broader sense of just every nook and cranny of God's word, of, 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 of God's instructions, his, his, his promises, his blessings, his, his commands, his statements. Psalmist says, I am just in love with God and I'm in love with everything that God says. Put it in how we would maybe phrase it in our own day and age. Really what the psalmist is saying with, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. He's saying, Oh, Lord, I love you so much. I hang on every word you say. Now, do you want to aspire to something in 2021? I, I, I want to. I I want to have enough sense to know that a worthy thing to be ambitious about, to aspire to in 2021, is that, oh Lord, would, would, would verse 97 ever increasingly be indicative of my life? By the time we get through uh, the end of December in 2021, which it felt like 2020 was um, 12 years long, didn't it? But now it's over with. It's done. Gone. It's just like a vapor now. And we have a whole new year in front of us. And, uh, and the shape of this year for my life and the shape of this year for your life, the shape of this year for our lives is hu- hugely contingent upon the focus and the direction of our loves. What we're devoted to what we desire, what we find delightful. You see, the deep, the, this deep devotion and, and uh, desire and delight that the psalmist has for God's Word get, gets worked out in a very concrete, practical way. Oh, how I love your law. Now, there was, any of us could say that. I mean, those are just words in that sense. But he, but he puts those words with, it is my meditation all the day. He's saying, I constantly, I regularly, I consistently mull over and mutter God's word to myself. 
as we as we begun our Bible reading uh, plan for this year. Yesterday morning, I I got up and I read days two day 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 twos uh, uh, reading, and uh, you know I I read it. I I prayed that the Lord would show me something, and and uh, and I I read it, and and. Uh, not many light bulbs went off, and probably because I maybe needed more coffee before I read. I don't know, but it, not many light bulbs went off. But but in God's kindness, he, he kept that he kept portions of that reading stirring in my heart throughout the day. And so as we were uh, doing the things we needed to get done in the course of yesterday, I, I kept going back to. In this case, I kept going back to. We were in Luke uh, uh, three, where Jesus is being tempted. Uh, and uh, I just kept going back to some of the, the, the things that were going on there. And then the, the, the more they kept popping back into my head, the, the more I got to mull them over and think about them. In other words, so, so and I think that's a, a kind of a picture of, of what meditation looks like. It's, it's one thing. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing to open God's Word and to read it. It's a, it's a whole other level of beautiful, good thing to then go back and revisit and churn it over in, in our hearts in our minds what we've read from earlier to that, that day or, or what we've read from the night before or, 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 or whatever. It's just that we're constantly going back and revisiting. That's what, that's what the psalmist is describing here. In other words, he, he is in a love relationship with God and that love relationship with God uh, 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 plays itself out in how he continually goes back and mulls over what God has said to him. And then, and then in, in verses 98, 99, and 100, we, we see something of where then he's talking about this notion of wisdom here in this unit. And um, I'll just read them quickly and, and make a couple of comments. Uh, your commandment, verse 98, makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. And do you see the connection there? Why is it ever with him? Because... Uh, it is his constant companion to mull over and to think about. But, but the first part is, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. Verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. The, the, the notion of always being with him. So it's, it's, it's made him wiser than his enemies. It's given him more understanding than his teachers. I keep, by the way, I keep going back. It's why I just, every time I read this, I just see like Daniel's face. This is, this, is, this, is, this is a wonderful illustration of what Daniel experienced. When you read through the book of Daniel, and, and now when you read through Psalm 119, you just think, boy, Dan- Daniel is portrayed so beautifully in Psalm 119. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Verse, and then verse 100, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. In other words, so whether the category in verse 98 is his enemies, whether it's in verse 99 his educators, or it's even in verse 100 his elders, he, he is saying that I, I have acquired more wisdom than, than each of them. I'm wiser than my enemies. I'm wiser than my teachers. I'm, I'm wiser than the elders. Now, get it. At first blush, it might think, well, boy, I don't see how wise he is because he's kind of braggadocious. Um, I, I, really don't, I really don't think that that's really what's in play here. He's, he's not bragging in himself, but he is 
uber confident in what God has provided him in and through his word. He's not saying natively, I'm smarter than all my enemies. I'm smarter than all my teachers. I'm smarter than all the old folks. Because he's coupled each of those statements with what God's word is providing him and doing for him. I don't always know the thin line between arrogance and confidence. And, And Anadoli, I think, well, I know the difference. If I don't like the person, he's arrogant. If I like the person, I'll give him a pass and say he's just being confident. But, but wh- whichever it is, here, 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 here he, he's displaying a great confidence in what God is providing for him. You see, what you and I need most in life is wisdom. Even Psalm 90 that I read earlier. So teach us to number our days, Lord. Help me sort out what life is about. And give me a heart of wisdom. You and I need to pray for a heart of wisdom because we don't naturally, natively possess a heart of wisdom. All of us, by default, start out in the category of fools. I know that could set you back. You say, I got dressed up to come to church this morning just to be called a fool? Well, I said you started out as a fool. So I'm, 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 I'm positive that you've made a bit of, of progress since you've been born. But if there's anything we do learn from the book of Proverbs about wisdom, it's just that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And it's through, by the grace of God, the maturation process that we maybe escape a, a bit of bits of our native foolishness, and uh, and God graciously grants to us wisdom from above, which is where wisdom comes. Think about even the categories. Think about his, he's, he's wiser than his enemies. He has more understanding than his educators. He, he's got, he understands more than the elders. Uh, and think about that even maybe in some categories of, of things we struggle with in our own culture today. We have the experts. And uh, we have the scientists. And we have the experience of the generations. All of which are wonderful categories. They're bona fide categories. It's good that people are subject matter specialists, that they're experts in this or that. And it's fascinating to try to, try to learn more in, in, in the various categories of life. It, it, it's wonderful that we have people who try to devote themselves to observing the universe, scientists, and, and to figure out how it works. It's, 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 it's a blessing that, that we have collective wisdom from the ages past. I, I think of my own mother, who never went past the eighth grade, and, and yet uh, was one of the smartest people I knew. Smarts in terms of just practical, applied wisdom to life. You know, there's a there's a there's a, a commercial uh, about um, uh, the the problem of you and I becoming like our parents. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you've seen that commercial or not yet. So, but the fact of the matter is, there's a sense in which 
in, in the best of ways, in the good of ways, we, we should take a bit of the form and shape of our parents, particularly if our parents have been so used by God to instill wisdom into our lives. So we praise God for the heritage in the previous generations. And, 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 and yet, more than anything, more than experts, more than scientists, more than the experience of, of previous generations, more than our enemies, more than our educators, more than the elders, we need this day, this week, this year, wisdom from above. And without a sense of personal relationship and fear of the Lord, we will only get dumber and dumber as the year unfolds. And whatever else we might learn from the experts, the scientists, from our educators, if we don't learn wisdom, then our learnedness will only enhance our wickedness. We need wisdom. Point two. Point one was, how do we get wisdom? And I said, well, wisdom is tethered to what we love, how we love. Um, second, wisdom is expressed through what we hate. And, and really what I want to focus on in these next four verses is something of, how do we demonstrate that we are wise? Uh, how, how do we show that we might be cultivating and increasing in the category of wisdom? And really the point that he's trying to say here, coupled with the orientation of love, he now recouples wisdom to a notion of hate. The demonstration of wisdom, showing that we are wise, has a connection to the things that we hate. Yeah. You know, it just dawned on me, I'm, I'm halfway or maybe over halfway through the sermon, and there's something I never did quite do yet. I never did quite f- flesh out um, maybe something of a functional description of what wisdom is. Yeah. Uh, but so let, me, let me try to clean that up before I go on to the second point. What is wisdom? Well, I would say that, that there's maybe three facets of, of, of thinking about what wisdom consists of and looks like. First of all, what I would say is wisdom is a skill. It's a moral skill. It's a moral skill of knowing how to do the right thing. It's a moral skill of knowing how to do the right thing and doing the right thing that's predicated upon, first of all, just a general base of knowledge that, that we know a thing or two about God, that we know a thing or two about God's universe, that we know a thing or two about ourselves as God sees us. In other words, we, we have a base of knowledge, of general knowledge, uh, that helps, helps inform uh, our moral skill of doing the right thing. But, but there's another feature, and that's really uh, reflected in how wisdom is coupled with a, an idea of prudence. In other words, there's, a, there's, there's not just the, the broader categories of I know some things, but there's also a, an ability to have a situational awareness. I know, how, I know a thing or two in general, but then I know a thing or two about this particular scenario or situation as to what would be the morally appropriate thing to say or do in this situation. So on the one hand, wisdom is a very large general category. On the other hand, this moral skill gets played out in uh, how we're able to, to make um, appropriate decisions and actions in real time. So, so there's a lot of people that know a lot of things, 
but they're smart fools. They're, wise, they're, they're, they're knowledgeable fools. They, they, they know a lot of broad categories, and, and they don't mind telling you that they know a lot of things. But, but they just don't have what it takes, i.e., like knowing when to even be quiet about all that they know in, in terms of the particular situation. Don't. Anyway, let me move on. The shift in verses 104 to 101 to 104 involves uh, a shift from how we think to how we actually live. And again, the, the affections are central. In this case, though, it's not the affection of love. It's the affection of hate. Hate is, a fa- and it's an, is an affection. And uh, what I'm going to argue with here, and what I'm going to argue for here, and, then, and there's a sense in which I'm certainly not affirming every nook and cranny of hate and hatred, and yet what I'm, what I'm expressing here is that hatred is, in this sense, a good affection. Wisdom informs what we should hate, and, and yet it comes back around, but wisdom is also formed in us by what we hate. That's why he says there, starting at the very end there, verse 104, Therefore I hate, I hate every false way. We should hate! Again, boy, you could really take that out of context, couldn't you? Um, You're going to have to listen to the whole sermon on on this one. If you just woke up for a a second and I startled you... um, uh, The psalmist is a hater. I hate every false way. Now, an underlying assumption here that I'm not sure is really a a lively operational assumption in our culture is that there is such a critter as a false way. There's a true way and there's a false way. That doesn't mean I always perfectly know which is which and it is, but I'm just saying in terms of principles, there is a false way and there is a true way. There is a beautiful way and there's an ugly way. There's a good way and there's a bad way. And I hope that we're instilling that into our own hearts and lives, into our families, our children, our grandchildren's lives, because because predicated upon the notion that there's a false way and there's a true way, we have to know those categories because we have to pick which one we're going to love and which one we're going to hate. We we live based upon how we have sorted out our loves and our hatreds. We ought to be great lovers of that which is true, and we ought to be great loathers of that which is false. Think about it in that way. Think about this new year. What should I love more in 2021? What should I hate more in 2021? You see, an important step in living differently is changing up what we love and what we hate. Say, okay, 
So how do I decide what I should love more and what I should hate more? The psalmist then says that at the beginning of 104. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, you see the connection? Therefore, I hate every false way. What he has deciphered to be a false way, which therefore he's deciphered that he should hate, is that which God's word has given him understanding about. Through your precepts, through, through your word, I understand. I have understanding. I, I, what should you hate more this year? God's word will sort that out for you. Invest your heart and life in God's word. What should you love more in 2021? God's word will sort that out for you. Invest yourself in God's word this year. The practice of holiness, the, the pursuit of obedience is influenced by our hatreds. We will not seriously practice holiness. We will not seriously pursue obedience until we hate that which is unholy, until we hate that which is disobedient to the Lord. Even the way out of what we might call our addictions or our enslaving sins runs through the path of hatred. Now, I don't speak of, of, of being a hater in the sense of meanness. That's why maybe some of you are still kind of flipping, like, wow, I didn't come to church this year just to learn how to be mean. Well, well for some of us, uh, we need to hate our meanness more in 2021. So I, when, I, when, I, when I use the word hatred, uh, I, it's not talking about just permission to be a meaner person this year. You're like, finally, I got a reason to live. You know, uh, no, I think you've had that reason for some time and you need to get rid of it. I speak of hatred more in a, in a comparative metaphor, the, uh, the opposite or the counter to what he's begin with, and that is what he loves. It, it, maybe it's, it's, it's similar to what Jesus said in Luke 14, a very jarring statement where he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, his own mother, his own brother, his own sister, etc., 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 even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, that doesn't mean that the way to follow Jesus is to be mean to your mom and dad. He's talking comparatively here. It's like there, there should be a sense that there, there's one spot at the top, and that one spot at the top of our affections is to be for Jesus. And, and, and in fact, then, that, that greater love for Jesus drives out. That greater love for Jesus is expulsive. As our hearts cultivate a greater love for Jesus and for Jesus' word, there's less room for us to love things that we should be hating. That's why he would say in verse 103, working backwards, Oh, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. In a sense, the psalmist had, without being overly cheesy, a sweet tooth. 
Now, again, probably this year some of you and I need to shake off some aspects of our sweet tooth in that sense. But there's a sense in which you and I need to cultivate a, a, a taste for God's Word. Like Peter would say in First Peter chapter 2, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that you may grow up in your salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That, that we know that, that there is no one more lovely, no, nothing more beautiful, nothing sweeter, nothing more rewarding than God and His Word. And, and when we operate under that premise, and when that statement becomes really a part of our applied experience, then that, that in itself begins to push out things that we should be hating, that should be lesser in our categories of comparison. The the Bible was exploding with sweet sensations in the mouth of the psalmist. I pray that as we read through the Bible this year, that in a similar fashion, that we will ever increasingly develop an acquired taste for the sweetness of God's Word. And you see how then such affections then drive what he says in 101 and 102, where he says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your Word. That was what we're saying. He said, because of this sweet love that he has for God and for his word, that's, that's pushing out lesser loves and other affections. And, and, it's, and, and it's, it's causing him an, an inward restraint from certain directions that he would otherwise pursue, from certain choices he would otherwise make, from certain interests he would otherwise explore, and from certain pursuits that he would otherwise engage in. The Bible was, was electrifying his taste buds. And as a result, he was saying, I, 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 I don't want to go there now. I don't want to go there. I want to hold my feet back from every evil way. I'm learning to love, I mean, to hate every evil way, even as I'm learning to love the sweetness of God's Word. And he says in 102, I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me. He's restrained from internally from certain directions, choices, interests, and pursuits, and he's inwardly compelled toward certain directions and choices and interests and pursuits. And what's compelling him is the sweet taste, the warm delight, the loving affection that he has for God's word. May that mark us this year. And more than anything else, as we are marked by a love for God's Word, may we love wisdom in its truest and ultimate sense. For wisdom is not simply the principles for how to live. Wisdom is bound up in relationship with a person, Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 speaking of Jesus reminds us that it is in him is what in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge may god's word cause us to see jesus more clearly 
so that we might love him more dearly, so that we might walk with him more closely. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what your word teaches us and instructs us concerning. Now, Father, as we bring to close our time, as we sing this last song, may we, may we be marked with a desire for you and your word and for your son, Jesus. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Let's sing.